what a wonderful joy it is to know to be free from guilt and free from sin. Great reminder in song this morning. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Romans chapter number 11 this morning. Romans chapter number 11. And our text today will be verses 5 through 7 as we continue in this uh, exposition of Romans 11. Of course, we have been through the entire book of Romans a couple of years ago. We went through it verse by verse throughout the entire epistle, but we've returned to Romans 11 and dealing uh, with the subject of has God cast off his people, Um, or we might even say the depths of divine wisdom. What is it God is doing? Can we understand what God is doing not only with Israel, uh, but what he is doing with all of the elect? Uh, We began our time this morning, of course, reading uh, from the Valley of Vision, a very pointed uh, entry uh, from the Puritans simply entitled Election. And this is certainly the subject that Paul is dealing with today, uh, specifically in the verses for our text, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, even so, then at this present time, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Uh, You'll note with me, if you would please, verse number 5. Paul's words, so pointed and direct, says, even so, then at this present time. This present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, if we remember the contents of where we've been so far in Romans 11, we know the Apostle Paul has been rebuking the despising of the Jews by the Gentiles who somehow in their pride began to think that because Israel and parts of Israel had been blinded, that the Gentiles were somehow better, that they were being rewarded for their greater faith, if you will. But let us remember that Paul is teaching them that the present blinding of these Jews, the present blinding of, the, of Israel, uh, is part of this depth of God's wisdom. It's His divine wisdom. It's His actions. It's His works. But Paul wanted them to understand that the Gentiles should never at any single point revile the Jews. They should never despise the Jews because they have been blinded at this time. But they should remember that they also are saved by God's free grace. And of course, when we use the word free and we attach it with grace, we are not talking about something that is absolutely positively without cost. We know the cost is the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death upon the cross. So it is not free, but it is freely given to those that belong to him. And we don't fully understand the depths of God's wisdom in divinely appointing and choosing for himself those who would be referred to as the elect or even in the context here, those who would be referred to as the remnant. It is a depth of that wisdom that is impossible for us to humanly understand. What's even equally as difficult to understand is what Paul uh, literally says at the end of verse number seven He says, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. 
Here's the other side of this great depth of divine wisdom. We know that God is the one who in fact does choose the remnant. He is the one that does choose for himself the elect, but he also is the one who appoints those that will be blinded. Uh, now it is that aspect of divine sovereign grace that people struggle with the most. The judicial blindness uh, that God, and I'm going to use this term, allows man to stay in, or that expression rather. He allows man to stay in his blindness. Remember, none of us seek after God. No, not one. There is none righteous. There is none of us that seek God on our own. The only way we do is if that blindness of our heart, that blindness of our eyes is actually removed. Not just theoretically removed, but actually removed that we may see divine truth, that we may see sin for what it is, that we would actually see that we are in fact depraved sinners. And it is only by God's allowance of us to see this, and that's one of the reasons we know that we are saved by grace alone. So the Gentiles are also saved by God's free grace, just as the elect of Israel are. Remember, Paul's been proving the point that God has not fully or finally cast off the nation of Israel, even though there is a time appointed by God that they would be blinded. And so there is a portion of Israel that is blinded. We've learned over the last few weeks that Paul also said that that blinding of Israel does not include every Jew because if it did, then he himself would be blind. And he's telling them, but I'm not blind. I see the truths of God's sovereignty. I see the truths of God's saving grace. And he said, if God had fully and finally rejected and cast off Israel in its totality, then he said, I would be cast off as well. And he says, but I'm not. And we've learned over these last few weeks how important it is to understand these terms that Paul uses. Uh, we see there in verse 5, and we'll, we'll get into the full exposition of these verses in a moment, but Paul says, even so then at this present time also. I think we all understand what he means. He's, he means in the, in the time in which we live, there is a remnant. Now that's not a random word he uses. Uh, there is a remnant in the Old Testament that's made mention of, a remnant of Israel. And Paul says, just like there was a remnant of Israel in the Old Testament, there's a remnant of Israel now, and there's also a group of people that God has reserved for himself, is what verse 4 taught us. That reservation, that word, I have reserved, is by God's sovereign choice. He, quote-unquote, makes the reservation. We don't reserve it for ourselves. He reserves to himself his people. So Paul says there is a remnant that is a remnant according to what? To the election. Okay, according to the election. Break that phrase apart. The election of grace. There is an election. Uh, even now, Paul is saying that within the nation of Israel, there are those who have been called. They are elect individuals who have been brought to this faith in Christ. Now, this is only because God has called them. It is only because God in his foreknowledge has predestined them to be there. These are terms that scare people, but they're words that should not scare us. They're words that should comfort us because we realize that that's the only reason any of us are even believing anything we hear today is because of God's grace. 
The election is there. Election is in the Bible no matter which way we try to slice it. It's there. And election's not just there for Israel. Election is there for Gentiles and the nation of Israel alike. They are all called and they are appointed by this election of grace. So we know it's by God's free grace and his sovereignty. And then that phrase, grace, it is that alone. That's the, that is the reason. Um, it is not because somebody is better than the others. Now, we could not even begin to try to conclude why, which ones did God of Israel choose to open their eyes and which ones did he choose to keep them blinded. There is no way for you humanly to come to a conclusion why he chose who he chose. Because it's not in our humanity that these truths are found. This is the depth of the divine wisdom of God. It is not possible for us to unfold and unpack everything that God has done. And oftentimes we are afraid of that which we don't fully understand. Uh, we're afraid of the mysteries of God. And yet Paul says these are the unsearchable riches of God. These unsearchable riches are what bring us hope is that there are things about God that are unsearchable. And quite honestly, that brings me comfort, not pain. I'm comforted by the fact that I do not know all of the riches. I'm, I'm, I am comforted by the reality that I don't fully understand everything there is to know about God because it leads me to give glory and honor and praise to God alone. I cannot find a single merit of human ingenuity, human wisdom, human work that can be attributed to grace. I have to give all glory to God. That's what Paul is writing about here. In verses 5 and 6, Paul specifically and pointedly deals with the remnant according to the election of grace. Again, we've already began this, but he's, he declares, Paul declares that at this time there is this remnant. Uh, there are some that have, have always been, there is a remnant now, and there will always be. Remember we dealt with the story of Elijah last week, and that's what Paul used as one of the great examples. Elijah was not the only believer in his day. God told him that there are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah was not alone. He was not the only one. And Paul used that as an illustration. Paul's telling them, I'm not the only one today. Just like Elijah, it's not just me that God has not left in blindness. He has a remnant. Now the thing we don't know is we don't know the total number. We will never know the total number of who he has chosen and reserved for himself. Nor do I think we need to know. We don't need to be able to see a membership role of the elect. We need to respond to the preaching of the gospel. To repent and believe. To believe in Christ alone. As we've mentioned many times, Spurgeon himself would say, how does a man know he's elect? He repents and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. He repents of his sin. Christ will in no wise cast anyone who comes to him out. So Paul declares that even at this time, there is more than just me. Now that number might be small. Now we're, we are told a little bit about this back in Romans 9. If you'll go back to Romans 9 and look at verse 27, Isaiah making a, a prophetic statement about Israel. Uh, he says in verse 27 of Romans 9, uh, Isaiah also cried, or crieth, concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. 
Now what is he saying? He's saying you cannot even begin to count those who are of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. He said they are so numerous it would be like counting sand on the seashore. You cannot possibly count them. But then what does he say? A remnant shall be saved. He doesn't say all of Israel. He says out of all of that seed that's like counted on the seashore. Now, not just one seashore, but all the seashores. They're numbered like that. There's a remnant that will be saved. Isaiah was even proclaiming this election of grace when he was prophesying about it. And he is showing how sovereign and providential God is in the appointing of not only the Jews that would be brought to salvation, but to the Gentiles. Again, we do not know. We cannot begin to number the number of Gentiles. But the number of those who would believe who were of Israel is small enough. Again, don't, use, don't try to use your human logic every time you hear something. That remnant is small enough that he makes a compare and contrast. And he says, I want you to know how large the number is over here. But a remnant is going to be saved. It suggests a smaller number. There's no way scripturally you can get a universal salvation from anywhere in the Bible that ultimately everybody will be saved. But you can draw conclusions that God always has a remnant. He always has a remnant of people. So that number may be small, but God has His people. And how does He have His people? According to the election of grace. A couple other passages that remind us of this that we uh, should never grow weary of reading because they are comforting. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul dealing with the church at Ephesus continued to remind them of their salvation, where it came from. Uh, again, Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, would have been a mixture of Gentiles and Jews. It was not just a Jewish church, nor was it just a Gentile church. But he says in verse 3, in the opening words that he penned to the letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us, now, that's a specific word. Us does not refer to anybody and anyone who hears, but us, those who are in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. You'll never fully understand God's good pleasure according to His will, no matter how humanly intelligent you are. You'll never fully understand the good pleasure of His will other than He accomplishes exactly what He sets out to do. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted into the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." Paul, in the, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, uses the word us many, many times to refer to a group of people who this applies to. So that is a classic passage about those according to the election of grace. Paul also dealt with the subject of election with the church of Thessalonica. If you'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians 1, and then we'll turn over here briefly uh, to 2 Thessalonians. But let's go to the first letter, of course, first. And notice Paul's words to them. Very similar. 
1 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 2. Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe. You can see Paul made mention there, brethren, beloved. He's referring to people that are already in the family of God. That's not a general Uh, word or expression being given to the whole world. He's talking to the beloved, those who understand and know their adoption. But he says, I want you to know your gospel. The gospel did not just come by our words. It came accompanied with power. And remember, we've dealt with this principle. Unless the word of God is accompanied with power, a soul will not be saved. A person will not be converted. A person is not converted because they willingly just choose to now think differently about God. It's because of the power of the Spirit changes the mind, opens the eyes. Paul was writing to those of Thessalonica knowing that they would know what that meant. They, would not, they were not shaming away. They're not ashamed of the doctrine of election. And I trust that our church never is ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed to admit, yes, I believe in the doctrine of election by God's sovereign free grace. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't treat it as if it's some kind of a plague. It's glorious truth because none of us are in the family of God apart from it. And yet, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus about their election. He writes to the church at Thessalonica about their election. He continues it again in the second epistle to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He begins this portion of it. Now, we're not going to deal with the first part of chapter 2 quite yet. But he says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. He uses the same expression he began the first epistle with. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, now he says, because of this, Because God has chosen you to salvation, what does he say? Brethren, stand. Stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through through grace. What's the end result? comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The only people I see who are brought discomfort to the doctrine of election are those who deny it. It's disturbing to them. It's unnerving to them. And they always respond with the same thing. I think it's better if God gives man a choice. Man is given a full choice with regard to the things of spiritual nature. He will never, ever choose Christ for himself if he's left alone. There's no way. Because there's none that seeks after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. 
And yet, Paul says this is a source of comfort. The remnant, according to the election of grace that Paul is writing to in the book of Romans, and we see in Ephesians and Thessalonians, we can sum up election really in very simplistic terms, not that it's easy to fully understand, but these five things I wrote down. God chose us, number one. Number two, God chose us in Christ. Number three, God chose us from eternity. Number four, God chose us to be like Christ. And number five, God chose us according to His own will. Notice the author, the initiator of election is God. All for His purposes. Now, almost no matter what kind of a church you go to, almost every denomination, now they may not say it, but all of them believe in some type or some sort of election. It's the definition of election that people dispute. Some dispute that election is only according to what God knows man would do. It puts everything in man's court and says God just knows what man's going to do. But the problem is the Bible says God already knows what man's going to do. He's not going to seek God. There's no mystery there. (laughs) He's already declared there's none righteous, no, not one. So why would God wait and see what man is going to do when He said there's none going to seek after me? Unless there is a moving of God upon the heart of a depraved, blind sinner, that man's not moving off from his hatred from God. He's only moving off of that if he's illuminated by the Spirit. But almost every denomination believes in election. Sadly, most churches in this country don't believe in biblical election anymore. They believe in the election that puts it squarely on the center of man's free will. However, history will tell you that the first churches in this country were founded on the principles of this type of election, biblically, that God did the choosing. You would have been more likely to find a church that preached the doctrines of grace than one that doesn't. Now it's flipped. Now, praise God, I'm not sure what God is up to, but there tends to be, there's tending to be a a reviving again of the doctrines of grace. Now, sadly, there's a perverted, twisted version out there, but there tends to be intending to be a movement back towards that to where people are now beginning to see it again they're seeing the realities wait a minute maybe these doctrines that paul held to maybe these really weren't the doctrines of john calvin which i hope you folks know that the doctrines of grace are not the invention of john calvin the apostle paul believed in the doctrines of grace now he didn't call them that but he sure said grace a lot And he sure referred to election a lot. But yet, there seems to still be a desire to push away. The election that's taught in Scripture is never based on works. It's never based on foreseen merit. It's never based on man's will. But it's based on the fact that God elected according to His will, His purpose, His mercy, and His grace. Left to yourself left to ourselves, we would never love God, we would never seek God, nor would we ever even come to Christ. Now, the people that say, well, that was just the Apostle Paul's doctrine. Well, you've got one problem with that. That Jesus Christ Himself taught that same doctrine. 
Uh, one of the places we could go among many, the first one we'll go to this morning is John chapter 5, which many of you who are in your scriptures daily, these are not new verses to you. Uh, you know these verses. But as remember Christ in John chapter 5, as he is even in our study in the book of Matthew, uh, has been accused of being a Sabbath breaker. Uh, he's already he claimed uh, that he and God are one. And it's in this interaction that he gives. He gives testimony of himself, and it's talking about what he's uh, what has happened. And he, he uses John as an illustration of what John came to bear witness of. But verse 39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in my, his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, seek not the, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think, and notice what he says here, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Uh, he is affirming to them that he says, I do know you. You do not have the love of God in you. There is not a moment here where the Lord suddenly breaks out the Romans road and says, now here's how you can get, get to know me. Here's how you can be saved if you'll just bow your head and pray these words. He doesn't say that. He says that there are the things that if you knew me, you would believe me. Search the scriptures and you would see the truth. And then if you turn over to John chapter number 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me, here's election, all the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am came down, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, all that are referred to in verse 37 as who the Father gave. We've already shown from Scripture that he has not given all to the Son. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. All that have been given, I will not lose a single one of them. Now again, that's the remnant. We don't know how many, but he says I'm not going to lose a single one. I will raise him up at the last day. And of course, the Jews' response was, then murmured at him. And notice, they didn't murmur at the election. They murmured when Jesus said, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus? They moved right beyond what he was saying about all the Father giveth and went right back to, who's this guy think he is saying he's the bread? This is just Jesus. See, man... <laughs> He, they weren't interested in that. They weren't interested in, well, who, who did the Father give? Wouldn't that have been our, a logical question you would think they would say? Well, who are the all? But that's not what they said. They went back to the bread and they were more concerned about Jesus equating himself in divinity with the Father. Back to our text now in Romans 11, verse number 6. 
Paul then makes kind of what we'll refer to as a, it's, it's kind of a, a twist on the mind. If you read this and you keep reading it over and over again, uh, it seems to get tied in your mind. Because he says, and if by grace, and he's of course referring to the grace he mentioned in verse 5, then, it, it, then is it no more of works? Okay, so he's saying if it's by this election of grace, it's, it has nothing to do with works. Uh, Paul declares that uh, even though all are not elect and all have not been chosen before the foundation of the world, those who are recipients of the election of grace must remember that they have been chosen by free grace, not by works. Their works have not contributed to their election in any way, shape, or form. As we declare here, uh, nothing you're doing today is adding to your election. Nothing is adding to keeping you as a remnant or keeping you saved. Your presence here is not doing anything for you to add to the merits of your salvation. You're here and should be here for the sole, sole reason for the, for the purpose of the glory and the worship in spirit and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Not for anything you're doing. You're not here to gain points. You didn't sign a sign-up sheet when you came in. You didn't sign a checkbox today to say, I did my responsibilities today. No, the only reason you should be here is to boast in the cross and to boast in Christ Jesus and to boast in His sovereign free grace in your life. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, that's what we're pleading with you today is to repent of your sins and believe in Christ alone. Don't believe in me. Don't believe in a single person here. Don't believe in this church. Believe in Christ alone as the only remedy for your sin. Paul himself would have completely been appalled at the idea that salvation was found in anything that he was doing. And he's not doing that here. He declares that if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. Salvation is by the pure, unmerited, free grace and mercy of God. The works, the efforts, the deeds of men are never involved. Back in Romans 9 again, we have picture where, uh, again, where Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he notice that he mentions this to Moses. You'll catch this. Romans 9, he, he quotes a passage. He says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same person purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth." Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me. This will be the response of a person. Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the, the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, look at this, fitted to destruction? He used Pharaoh as an example. He said, I raised Pharaoh up for one purpose and one purpose only, so that my name would go forth. 
Now, humanly say, you say, that's poor Pharaoh. That's unfair to Pharaoh. But you're not thinking clearly enough. You're not thinking about what, why are you, why are you chosen? Pharaoh's not given to us that we would say, oh, I feel sorry for Pharaoh, but know that it would be used as a point to don't ever use your election of God as a means of despising somebody whose eyes are blinded to the truth. See, we always think about the negatives before we think about what it actually means. Pharaoh was fitted for destruction. How many have, has God fitted for destruction? That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now there's a differentiation between the vessels of wrath and the vessels of mercy. He says, I've, I, I have fitted these vessels of wrath that are fit for destruction, that I might make known his glory on the vessels of mercy, that you who are fitted vessels of mercy would know it. Even us, Paul says, there's that word again, us, whom he hath called not of the Jews only. There's the people that say election is only for the Jews, but Paul says, but also of the Gentiles. He goes on and says, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved, which was not beloved. Very clear about what Paul is declaring, that all who have been saved are recipients of the election of grace. If salvation comes to us because of our works, no matter how small that work appears to be or how large that work appears to be, then grace ceases to exist. If you can find a single reason why God should save you other than by His free grace, then you don't understand salvation. So if you in your head today have, I have one thing that I'm pretty sure helped contribute, then you don't understand grace. Because none of it contributed. That's why it's called free grace. That's why it's called free. It costs you nothing. You could not pay a high enough price. You could give away all of your possessions and it would not earn you a single ounce of standing before God. And yet, God the Father was pleased to bruise His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by bruising His Son, here's a divine mystery for you. By bruising His Son, God the Father was pleased. There's not a father in this room that would bruise their own son and say, I'm pleased in the bruising of my son. What was he saying? Because that was mercy on display. That was free grace on display. That was the accomplishment of salvation. God the Father was pleased to bruise him because he was the only way to satisfy the demands of a perfectly righteous and holy God. If you can find a single way, any reason why God would save you other than by His grace, you are, advocate, you are an advocate of salvation by works. You say, I don't believe in works by salvation. If you, if you can find a single reason in yourself this morning why He saved you, then you believe in salvation by works. Because there's nothing in us that made Him do it. As has been said, there was always a remnant according to God's election of grace. So there is also at this time, in Paul's time, and even in our time, that a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul, again, remember what he says in verse 4, I have reserved to myself 
How did he do that? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal, even so, or in, in line with what I just said, at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the same thing, the election of grace. I have reserved includes election, and it explains, and I think this is important, magnifies divine free grace. Secondly, let's look at verse 7. Paul says, what then? We'll move quickly with this. Verse 7. Second heading, the righteousness Israel received was as an elect remnant. Notice he uses this interesting play on words. The election hath obtained it. Okay, the election hath obtained what? The standard of righteousness and the standing as part of the elect remnant. Election obtained that standing. The righteousness of those who are of the family of God, it was obtained by election. Now, this is going to tie into next week, so I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a preview here because it, it's, it's not going to make full sense this morning. But what Paul is beginning to do in verses 7 through verse number 10 is he's declaring that all who refuse the election of grace and all who refuse the free mercy of God are in fact bringing damnation upon themselves. What it's going to do is it's going to show us when everybody accuses God of being a damning God, no man actually damns himself. Now again, it's a mystery. It's a deep mystery. But that's what Paul is teaching. And you'll read these verses, and if you want to read that as a preview for next week, start in verse 7 and read down through verse 10 and read what he's saying there. But we, what we do understand about it today is Paul uses another one of his rhetorical questions. To begin in verse 7, what then? Paul is indicating here, what, what, can, be, what can we say then? What, what can I tell you as a matter of beginning a concluding thought? Now, what am I advocating for, Paul says. He's clearly already proven from what we've read in these first seven verses that God has not cast away all the Jews. We've already established that. He's also not cast away all of the Gentiles. So he's answered the question, hath God cast away all of his people? The answer is no. How have those who've not been cast off been kept by the election of grace? So now Paul goes to what we'll refer to as, humanly speaking, we would call the negative side. Because now he starts talking about judicial hardening and blindness. What then? What can I say? God hasn't cast away any of the Jews or any of the Gentiles He foreknew. And as John 5 showed us and John 6 showed us, and that were given to Christ at any period of time. That means there's never been a single person in all of human history who the Father gave to the Son who's been cast away. Not one. It's never happened. Will never happen. Those that the Father gave are going to be in glory. They're not going to be cast off. That's a conclusion we can come to. But notice then he says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh. In other words, Israel did not receive, especially as a nation, what they sought after. Now the, the bulk of, the body of Israel for the most part, what we would refer to as carnal Israel, sought after righteousness how? By the deeds and the ceremonies of the law. 
They were seeking God by their own standard and by their own sense of righteousness. What is he saying? Israel didn't obtain it. It didn't work. Now that's simplifying it. It didn't work. Rather, but, here's that word. Remember I told you, that's one of the, that's one of the best theological words in all the Bible is the word but because it, it indicates, but I want you to know here's where the hope is. Or it usually spins it to a positive or an announcement of something. But the election hath obtained it. Obtained what? The righteousness which Israel was seeking wrongly. Election actually obtained what they were seeking wrongly. Remember, there's none that follows, there's none that follows after righteousness. There's none that, are, there's none that are, are holy. There's none that want anything to do with God. They sought righteousness in the wrong place and in the wrong way, but the election obtained it. So Paul divides Israel into two parts, the elect and the rest who were blinded. That's the reality of the doctrine. God did it. In His will and in His sovereignty, He divided Israel and He divided them by the elect and by the rest who were blinded. You say, preacher, you're making up. That's what it says right here. The rest were blinded. The context, the rest of who? The rest of Israel. Remember, the number is sand to the seashore. But there's a remnant. There's a group. How large that group is, none of us know. These chosen ones, again, I mentioned this about God allowing man to stay in his hardness and in his blindness. There is... These chosen ones who now have obtained mercy, they have obtained grace, and they have been granted righteousness in Christ. Paul is using again himself as an example. At one time in Paul's life, he sought righteousness by the deeds of the law and by the ceremonies. Paul was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's using himself really in an abstract example by saying, listen, I know what it was to obtain, try to obtain it the wrong way. But that's not what got me. The election obtained the righteousness that I could not obtain for myself. Christ himself gives all glory to Christ. And he says again, the rest were left in blindness. This word, or rest were blinded. It also is used throughout Scripture to indicate darkness. The word election here, of course, has to be taken in the sense of the elect. If you want to see an abstract version of this, you can actually see even where uh, God is speaking with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. And we don't think about this as a passage on election, but you'll notice he, he, the Lord says to Abram in verse 1 of that chapter, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And we, we, we don't pay attention to this. And I will make of thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There's an emphasis here on the re repetition of God saying, I will do this. I will. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will harden who I will harden. I will leave in blindness who I choose to leave in blindness. Who, whenever does the clay have the right to tell the potter what to do with the clay? 
Never. It's all according to God. So what we'll look at next week is how Paul now begins this journey on the judicial blinding part. How God, as part of this election, now leaves some in their current state. We'll primarily be looking at verse 8 that says, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. So these verses that we've looked at today put away any doctrine that says man is saved by works, that man can be justified by themselves, that if any way, shape, or form, man is either wholly or partly the cause of his own justification, it has to be renounced as false. The election of grace is not that by which men chose grace, but by which God chose us of his free grace and his goodness. There's a big difference in man choosing grace and God choosing to extend that grace to us. So if you want to read ahead, as I mentioned to you, begin in verse 7, read down through verse 10. We'll kind of look at the hardness of the heart. We'll, we'll look at God's just decrees and his judgments uh, and, and show from Scripture that man is not without fault. Uh, man is held accountable. Uh, we refer to that just judgment of God as judicial divine hardening. Uh, God does punish the unthankful. He takes away from them any sense of God. He leaves them in blindness. He leaves them in darkness. And man's rejection is there. So we'll look at that in depth next week. So we'll deal with specifically next week, God giveth them the spirit of slumber. Uh, let's stand and we'll conclude our time this morning. We'll sing a hymn together, a familiar hymn to us here, 201.